The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokea Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Let's come together around God's Word now. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 1, Exodus chapter 1. And read verses 8 down to verse 14 together. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 down to verse 14. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mighty than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when they, there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. So let us get, up, get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Praise God for his word. Chapter 1. Uh, This morning, I want to talk to us about, maybe we could call this a belated Mother's Day message, five five women that God used in the early life of Moses. In fact, we could say within his uh, first couple of months. What we don't realize sometimes as we read scripture is how many people there are, real people that are involved in everything that's happening. In fact, can somebody tell me who wrote the book of Exodus? Moses did. Wait a minute. How would you like to write a story about what it was like when you were a baby? You're going to have to ask a lot of questions. You're going to have to ask your mom and your aunties. You're going to have to find out from your family how, what, what happened. Really, is this a real story? This really exciting story about baby Moses, Moses is writing about it. And in Moses writing about it, he, is, he just gave the background that Brother Phil read to point us to this is not a good situation. Remember, Moses wrote Genesis. Now, we as Bible-believing Christians used the writer's personalities, he used their histories, he used their, their thoughts and their terminology to write it the way he wanted to communicate it. And of all the people in Scripture, Moses gets the most personal opportunity to talk about himself. I don't know if you've thought about that. And without the inspiration of Scripture, this either becomes one big, hey, look at me, I'm Moses, 
or it could be Moses hiding a lot of information. But you know, Moses doesn't hide anything. Moses brings out the good and Moses brings out the bad. Moses is the guy that smote the rock. And when he did it the second time, when God told him not to, God said, you're not going into the promised land. If I was writing a story about me not being inspired by God, I would probably leave that out. Or I would say, oh, only no, I didn't mean go inside the promised ground because you got heavy stuff. Not me. But Moses didn't hide it. Moses was like, it was me. I got angry. I got angry at the people, and I hit the rock the second time. Moses could even cover up the whole reason he had to leave when he was 40 years old. He killed somebody. Who writes their biography and says, oh yeah, I'm a murderer? Moses, in the things that we find written, especially in the early chapters of Exodus, writing autobiographically. All of the things he writes not only play into the grand theme of the story, but it plays into the grand theme of his own life. Moses' life is very significant. You realize, Jewish people, Moses is way up on a pedestal. Sometimes, rather than referring to the law as the law of God, they will refer to it as Moses. Moses. Moses is a very significant figure. And to think, he's writing a biography about this. Here's the other thing. If you're a macho guy, when you survive such horrible things as we're going to read here in these verses this morning about Moses, aren't you going to want to make the men look good? Did you know that there are five women that he uses and no men? None. In fact, the only man who gets significant coverage here is the bad guy. Which makes it quite interesting because there are so many people who say, well, the Bible, you know, it puts women down. You can't read the beginning of the life of Moses without seeing that Moses, the lawgiver, is exalting women for their bravery, for their prudence, for their desire to, to face danger and face it head on and, and go ahead because of principled ideas. A lot we can learn this morning from that. But I want to focus this morning on the five women that God used in Moses' early life. We wouldn't have Moses if it weren't for these five. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 15. So after what Brother Phil read about the Hebrews being slaves, it says that they had been making you know, bricks and whatever, and all this has been proven by archaeology great discoveries in recent years that they're afraid of the Hebrews because of the way they're multiplying. And so verse 15, the king of Egypt, that would be Pharaoh, spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra and the name of the other Pua. And I want to pause there. It really doesn't matter what their names are, but do you know this? I wonder if Moses knew them as a young man. As his mom told him these stories, that I want you to meet somebody, Moses. And he meets two very seemingly insignificant women, but without them, without them, we don't even have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God's like, can we just go ahead and put their names right here? Pharaoh talks to these women. He said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, when they're going to have children, and you see them upon the stools, getting ready to give birth, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. If we were to jump over to verse 22, his method of killing them is throw them into the Nile River. Throw the babies into the Nile, the boys. If it be a daughter, verse 16, then she shall live. But 
17, but the midwives feared God. They feared God more than they feared Moses. I mean, sorry, Pharaoh. And so they did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing? And have saved the men children alive. And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, and this is, by the way, this is brass. And looking, I have looking to talk. Well, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come into them. I rephrase that. Uh, Mr. Farrell, uh, Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. When they have a baby, they don't lay around and moan and complain and, oh, I need to take a week off. They have a baby and they go back to work. And by the time we get there, by the time we've heard, hey, she's going to have a baby, oh, it's too late, she's already had a baby. I really believe that that is what those done was instruct people how to do it so that they didn't have to obey that law of Pharaoh. Verse 20, Therefore, because they did that, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied, the Hebrews, and waxed very mighty. It came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. That doesn't mean he built them a nice, you know, high-set, three-bedroom. No, no, no. That means, you would see New Testament term, they had families. God blessed their families. They, they just were able to grow themselves. God's blessing in fruitfulness in their home because they were honoring God in not killing babies. Interesting. But in verse 22, Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, every son that is born cast into the river, every daughter you shall save alive. I don't find that surprising that the first plague that God uses Moses to bring on the Egyptian many, many years later, that of the Nile turning to blood. Because if you would go back to the very first murder in Scripture, which Moses wrote about, Cain kills who? Who does Cain kill? Abel, his brother. And when God comes to Cain, he said, something is crying to me from the ground. What is it? His blood. His blood. Don't you know how the blood was crying from the Nile River? Matter of speaking. All those babies that had been thrown in the Nile. God came and he said, I'm going to show you first. First thing you did was kill our babies. The first thing I'm going to do, let the blood of that river cry out. All of these, by the way, all these things, let me pause. All these things you read in Exodus are absolutely Absolutely true. You're like, well, science can't prove it. I'm not worried about science. Science keeps catching up. They've had that, a couple thousand years to catch up. Well, actually, 3,500 years to catch up with Moses. They're still catching up. and we. But I'm just going to let God be true and every man liar. I'm just going to believe what God says. What's really interesting, and if I can say this, those of you that don't know, I'm the director of Baptist Bible Institute of Port Moresby. I get the blessing of teaching word every week to some great, great, I call them all young people, all of our students. Bible college students. But one of the things that I have to do is I have to stay ahead of them. Archaeological studies, we just finished Genesis. Archaeological studies about the life of Joseph that had been discovered in the last few years are amazing. They actually found where Joseph lived. They actually found the tomb that was made for Joseph in Egypt, which was emptied because we find in Scripture that they took his bones with them when they left Egypt in the Exodus. But I mean, they found his... They found his house. They found where the Hebrews lived. All of that has been discovered just in the last decade. So when you see those kind of things, it doesn't make the Word of God any more real. It just says, yeah, we knew this. It was true. These ladies, the, the, the 
two that we're first talking about here, they, they point us to the fact that fearing God more than fearing man is important. What Moses would begin to bring out, he had already written it in Genesis, and write more of it in Numbers and Deuteronomy. There's a satanic attack here in the early days of Satan trying to stop the line of the Messiah. He's trying to stop it. And all he knows is that all that Satan knows is it's going to be a male. So he doesn't know when the Messiah is going to come. We get to look back over time in history. We realize it's Jesus Christ, and it's many, many years later. But Satan inspiring Pharaoh, Pharaoh's throwing boy babies in the river. Why? Satan does not want that line to survive. He doesn't know when he's going to come up. But you know, it didn't didn't stop. Why? Because God used ladies, not men, to stop him. God used these two Hebrew midwives, Ifra and Pua. Reminds me of what Jesus himself said, Fear not them which kill the body, they're not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Especially to you ladies that are here today. Married moms, single moms, unmarried. I want to speak to you today. I want you to understand this. God cares not just about you as a person, but God actually cares about you in your nation. Here's who you are and where you are. And in that, he cares about those that are around you. He cares about those that you have an influence on. This entire section today is about the influence that you as ladies have. Now, men, don't tune me out. I'll, I'll come back to you somewhere. In here. But get this, ladies. God intends to use you. God intends to have you as his daughters. And as his daughters, he doesn't just use you like some kind of tool. He actually uses you like he used Moses. And as we see these ladies, he used them. There are ladies in here who have unbelieving husbands, believing children. That's whether that's your... For those that are single, you've got unbelieving brothers, unbelieving cousins. You've got people around you that don't know Christ. In fact, anyone in working laboring to bring some friend, some family member to Jesus. God knows what he's doing as he works through you. But he's expecting us, as his children, to labor alongside him. Chipper and Pua, in their obedience to God rather than to Pharaoh, show us that they had to do something. Had to do something. Now, we, now let me get this straight. When it comes to your salvation, you have nothing to do. Hear me. When it comes to your salvation, you have nothing to do. You have only to believe. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. All we have to do is believe. You say, well, what about baptism? You're a Baptist church. Well, people get baptized because they have already believed. We, we practice believer's baptism. We don't practice baptism to put you into Christ. We take those who are in Christ and baptize them. And the baptism is a public testimony of what has already transpired in the heart and in the mind of the believer. These ladies here obviously predate Christianity, but what you see them doing is the the faith and reality of God in their hearts is making them act it out. I don't know how many people in my years of ministry, and there's been a few years of ministry, I don't know how many people I've met who told me they were Christians 
at their life did not match up. You see, God didn't, you say, well, you're not supposed to judge. No, but I'm a fruit inspector. I'm D.Y. no carrying fruit, and D.Y. must he got something heavy. There's got to be something wrong if there's not fruit in our lives. God even points us in the book of Hebrews to examine ourselves and to see whether or not when we live in sin, are we judged by God? Does God deal with our hearts? Or are we able to just sin and walk away from it as if nothing ever happened? Because if you can, God says that you are not a child of His. But if you sin and it bothers you, that could be the evidence of the Spirit of God working in your heart. Can I say this? That is one of the greatest blessings for any child of God. He will not leave you alone. But if you can sin and He leaves you alone, check yourself. Draw near to God. Say, God, you know, I've been living in sin. I've been doing this thing, and it doesn't bother me. Am I your child? And if not, that's the time to turn that switch. That's the time you need to look to Jesus. Don't look to any preachers. Look to Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, and put your faith in him. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you came, not just for the whole world. See, this God, personal for us, was personal for these people, and that's why we're getting these personal people in the stories, and specifically these Ladies, I'm reminded this morning, I'm going to kind of blend it in, of 1 Peter 3, and it'll be on the screen, of different things about this. As those midwives kept their proper focus, we need to keep a proper focus. And ladies, there's a passage, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6, speaks specifically to ladies. And in keeping a proper focus, verses 1 and 2 remind us, likewise, you wives... Be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any, any of those husbands, obey not the word. Now that would be not saved or not following God. That if any obey not the word, that they may also without the word be won by the conversation or the lifestyle of the wives. While they, the husbands, behold, look at your chaste, pure, godly conversation coupled with fear. They see that you would rather, like these midwives, obey God than obey sin. It's easy sometimes to speak about being a Christian. hard to live all the way. But it's the living it out that Peter is encouraging us to do. The, the midwives, they lived it out. Ladies, you can live it out. And, and men, any Christian, you can live it out. Why? Because God dwells in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The second thing I see, if you'll come to chapter 2 in Exodus, second, or actually it's the third lady involved here, is Moses. Chapter 2, verse 1. There went a man of the house of Levi, took to wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bare a son. When she saw him that he was a goodly child, Hit him three months. Now get this, Moses is writing this. So Moses is writing about himself. And when she saw what a great baby I was, when she saw he was a goodly child, you don't think that's funny? I think that's hilarious. He didn't say, when she saw he was an ugly baby, got tripling news, no got teeth, yeah, grass blim, comely yow. No, he was a goodly child. He's writing about himself. He hit him three months. Verse three, and when she could not longer hide him, he took for him an ark of bulrushes, that we would call that pit-pit or some kind of reeds, and she makes this little boat for him, a little basket, 
then she daubed it. She smeared it with slime and pitch, kind of to seal it, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags, reeds by the river's brink. Couldn't hide him, but she wouldn't get rid of him. You see, she has a protecting heart. She is a mother. Can you imagine the mothers, the Hebrew mothers, who threw their boys in the river because of their fear, Pharaoh? I, I, don't, I don't know what it would be like. I don't know what it would be like to be a mother, to be torn between, I've got two, three, five children that I need to take care of, but I've just had a baby. But the king, the Pharaoh, has said we have to kill the baby boys. But if I protect him, I could die. And then all my children have no mother. And, and what is it like to make that decision? I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that's like. But I know this, that of all those ladies, Jochebed, Moses' mother, said, not going to do it. Not going to just throw him in the river where he'll either drown or the crocodiles will eat him. I- I'm going to do something else. She had a protecting heart. She protected her son when others gave up. Now, we today live in a bad time for kids. We live in a time where you are constantly bombarded, not merely with sinful thoughts and ideas, but abstract off-the-wall ideas of what it's like to be a person, what it's like to be a human, what it's like to be a male, what it's like to be a female. My, my home country. Bless their hearts. They just put a person on our Supreme Court who couldn't answer the question, what is a woman? That it's a complex question. Really? When I was a little boy, I looked at my dad and I looked at my mom and I had no problem figuring out. Eddie? You're like, well, it's more complex. No, no, no. It's only complex when you try to intertwine letting feelings drive what are facts. I'm not saying people don't have issues that we need to all walk with and love through and help and guide. But know this. We don't, we don't throw away common sense. Get this. The world will come back around to where it says, these are men and these are ladies and and. Other issues we have need to be treated as issues. We need to work with one another and love one another and talk through them. But we don't make the rest of us say there are 43 different genders. There are not 43 different genders. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. I have a dog, female. Male dogs come around. Male dogs don't go, hmm, no sabe en medio, man. But in, in such a thing, we have to, we don't just protect our children and say, you don't, don't listen to that son, don't listen to that daughter. No, no, what we have to say is we need to sit down and have conversation. Because the older your children get, the more they have questions. And if you don't answer those questions, if you don't build a relationship to speak with your young people, hear me, they will go someplace else for the answers. And they're not going to go to a good place. Because they've got peers at school. They've got peers in the neighborhood. They've got those whom they, who are going to speak to them. And you need to be that balancing voice. You need to be that voice that says, well, son, this is what the Scripture says. Daughter, this is what God's Word says. And walk with them. Understand. How many of you remember, those of you that are old, older, do you remember what it was like to be young? I remember what it was. I was doing the Papa drop-offs Friday night. We drive one way and we turn around and we come back. Several of the boys don't like to get out when we go past their house. They like to go all the way to the end of the route. And when we retrace it, they like to get out. 
know what that's like. Like round Lucaria. Have a round Lucar, and I mean like round Lucar. I didn't fuss at him and say, no, get out first time. I need to know how many people are left in here. No, no. Do me young blah boy. I like to stay in the car. But we cannot forget, parents, grandparents, we cannot forget what it was like to be young. You're like, yeah, but I don't know how they think today. Learn. You better learn. Better learn. Better hear what's being taught. You better hear what they're saying. Better listen. Because you need to be like Jochebed and have a protecting heart. You say, wow, how could she risk her life against the Pharaoh? Hey, how can we not risk our, our conversation with our children to help them? You have to pray for them. You have to love them. You have to show them the right way. Think about 1 Peter 3.2. While they're looking at you, beholding your chaste, pure, godly conversation with fear, you need to tell them why you live that way. You say, well, they see how I live. They'll know that's the way it's supposed to be. No, 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 no. It's like the gospel. You use words with the gospel. Your life will never save anyone. Your life backs up your words. You need to speak and you need to live. But we've got great examples all throughout Scripture, all throughout history, even around us, of people who live, love, and serve, and speak about Jesus. Have that protecting heart. Think of it this way. I don't want my children to go to hell. I don't want my husband to go to hell. I don't want my mom and my dad to go to hell. Think of it that way. It changes. Like, I don't know what to say. Start by saying something. In your life, live it. Every single day, live it, live it, pray, love, live, speak. Jochebed protected her. Verse 4, find the fourth lady involved in Moses' life. She will be involved in Moses' life for many, many more years. It's his sister, Miriam. She made some prudent decisions. Verse 4 of chapter 2, his sister, as they put this, little boat put in the, uh, the river, he stood afar off to wit or to find out what would be done to him. I want to skip over Pharaoh's daughter and come down to where Pharaoh's daughter actually speaks to Moses' sister Miriam, verse 7. Then said his sister Miriam, says to Pharaoh's daughter, when Pharaoh's daughter found the baby, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. This is really interesting. Because it says that Pharaoh's daughter came with her maidens. Her maidens are walking riverbank. And one of the maids that is there, Miriam. Now, I don't know if Miriam, one of the maids of this, of this Pharaoh's daughter, who, by the way, has no name. The Pharaoh is unnamed, and the Pharaoh's daughter remains I can't imagine Moses didn't know the name of his own surrogate adopted mother, but he doesn't put her name. He calls her Pharaoh's daughter. But Pharaoh, uh, Moses' sister, in her decisions, she's thinking, this is my baby brother, and when she puts the baby here, listen, the Nile in Egypt itself 
is thousands of kilometers of shoreline. There's a lot of places they could have put that basket. She chose to put the basket near where Pharaoh's daughter came to wash. This is the daughter of the king. Hemnos around the light bloom. Hemnos around the one plahap. Now wash, wash today, and then tomorrow another place. She's got one safe, secure place that she washes every day. And Miriam knew, I'm going to put my baby brother right there. I think, personally, that she was one of the handmaids, Pharaoh's daughter, and she knew something about Pharaoh's daughter that we'll get to in a minute. But she knew, she knew this was the place to do it. She made a prudent decision. When we read in Peter about what, how our hearts should be in deciding how we're going to live and how we're going to behave. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4, he said when it talks about the wife who's adorning, let it not be that of the outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. I don't think those verses tell us that you ladies don't need to put on some bilas and look nice. I think you could. But Peter is saying more importantly than putting on all the fancy stuff, what is going on in your heart? Your heart, that should be where the bilas is. The ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. That, that idea that what's going on in your heart is speaks loudly, more loudly than what we see on the outside. Moses' sister, Miriam, in making those decisions, didn't big mouse to Pharaoh's daughter. She couldn't. She is a slave. She doesn't go, well, look over here. Look at the basket in the water. There is a basket. I wonder what is inside. <gasps> look at this, Pharaoh's daughter. There is a baby in here. I know you like babies. Think she knows where the baby is? Knows where Pharaoh's daughter is going to come to wash? All the maids are walking along. By the way, do you know why they're... Why? Who else likes to hang out on the edge of the river? You know how embarrassing it would be if the Pharaoh's daughter was eaten by a crocodile? So you have the slaves walking the edge of the river, making the noise. Because if there's a croc there, eats a slave, not Pharaoh's daughter. So they're walking along, making the noise. One of them is Miriam. She's got baby Moses. And when she says baby Moses is there, she makes sure that, that Pharaoh's daughter sees it, but she doesn't do it big mouth. She doesn't do it me. She doesn't do it like, you should care just approaches the situation and lets God work that out. Ladies, you want to win your husband to Christ. You cannot be big head. You can't do it. You can't run interference for him. You can't stop him by the attitude that you have. You're like, I want to see my husband. You're like, look, Christ can't do it by pushing him. And you can't do it by being big mouse. And you can't do it by making excuses. You just got to let the inside shine. Let the beauty of Christ dwell in you. Let Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. 
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God wants to work in us. And you're like, but I just, I, I need to, no, no. Peter's whole thing in 1 Peter 3 is the conversation, it's your lifestyle backing up what you're saying. You've been saying it and it's not getting through. All of us hearing the gospel, your lifestyle speaks against what you are saying to change what you're doing, not what you're doing. You need to own it. As Christians, we need to be followers Monday through Friday, and Saturday and Sunday. We can't be followers on Sunday morning. It needs to be real. Why? Because Jesus is His transforming power has transformed billions of people in church history, and He is about to transform you if you've not been transformed. And if you are transformed, you need to just let that light shine for others. You need to be prudent about how you let people get to know it. Jesus would put it this way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I would say, let your words so flow that as you speak, speak with kindness and with love, speak with compassion, speak with joy. Those are the things that draw people to Christ. And when it comes to our children, come back to that. Do you think Miriam had any idea that the life she was saving that day would one day save her? Her saving Moses saved the nation, including Miriam. That's a lot to think about. We think sometimes, oh, you know, it would be nice if my child grew up, one day was maybe prime minister of the nation. One day was... You know, influential in government or influential in business. And that's great to aim that way. But do you know who the influencers are? The influencers are the people who influence those people. The testimony of godly Christian people who, are, who by God's grace get put right next to those in power that are able to speak truth into their lives. And they make godly decisions not so much because they're godly, but because it's godly people speaking to them. And if you're surrounded by godly people does make a difference. And we need to raise our children. We need to focus our children to grow up to be those people. That if we're not in that position, we're friends with those in that Speak truth. Come back to Pharaoh's daughter. She's the fifth one here. As I mentioned, she's not even named. Chapter 2 of Exodus, verse 5, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and maidens walked along by the riverside saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. I actually think that is. And verse 6, And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. Now, why do you think Moses put that in? Any men in this story here? Besides Moses? Are there any men there? And baby, you cry, give me the mama. But when a lady hears a baby cry, you're like, oh, huh? And blah, blah, blah. Right? Isn't that how ladies are? Oh, the baby's crying. Oh, when I hear a baby cry, I'm like, I want him. Napia, you change. Right? We hand him, ladies pull him. This is, this is what Miriam knew would happen to Pharaoh's daughter. So when she saw it, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. She knows the law her father passed. 
She knows the thing that her father wants done. And what does she do? She goes, this is the Hebrew. Makes a decision. Pharaoh's daughter makes a decision. She wants to keep the baby, knowing that it's a Hebrew. When Miriam speaks up again, verse 7, said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go call to be a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Jochebed, take this child away, nurse it for me. I will give thee thy wages. The woman took the child and nursed it. Pharaoh's daughter. This is God's providential protection of Moses. God doesn't protect him by some miracle of outside influence. He actually puts him in Pharaoh's house. You can't get any safer than hiding in plain sight. Moses is in the middle of where everything's happening. The man who said, kill all the baby boys, is now protecting you. Only God can do this. God's providential protection. There are times, ladies, that we have to just trust God. That when you've done everything that you can do, and stop beating your head against the wall about what else you can do. Trust God. Even Peter, as I quoted before in 1 Peter 3, verse 5, the, the, this manner, the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves. You've got to trust God. I, I don't know what else I can say to my husband. I don't know what else I can do to win him. I don't know what else I can do with my child to lead him to Jesus. I don't know what else I can do. Trust God. Make sure you're. Because the God who can put Pharaoh's daughter in the place to get Moses when Pharaoh, her father, wants to kill children. God, that God can take care of everything about your family and your home or husband. Verses 9 and 10. Come back to Moses' mother. What happens is gets to do a precious investment. She had him for three months. She had to, get, had to put him out, but she couldn't kill him. She put him in the basket. He comes back before nightfall. In fact, he comes back before lunch. He's out for morning waswash. He comes back before lunch, not only back into the house, but his mother is going to get paid to raise him. Morning, I'm trying to figure out how to keep him alive. This afternoon, I'm trying to figure out how to spend all the money that Pharaoh's going to pay me to raise this boy for him. And she's going to keep him until he's done nursing. We're getting three years out of this one. His mother took him and nursed him, but that's not all she did. She taught him. God allows her, allowed her to raise him and to nurture him and to invest in him for the glory of God. You have invested in this period of time, undetermined but probably. Pharaoh's, I'm sorry, Moses' mother speaking to him, teaching him the ways of the Hebrew people, teaching them about the God of the Hebrews who does care. And by the way, how do you think Moses learned all those stories? You're like he's only three. Moses is. By the time he's three, he's heard every story of Genesis. Every one of them. He knows about Jehovah Jireh and Elroy. He knows about Elohim. He knows about Jehovah. He knows all of those things about God. He might be able to process that at three. 
gets older, visits his brethren. He hears and he learns and he knows and why. It's because this lady, willing to take a chance, trust God, and God gave the boy back to her. Parents, um, what are you going to do with those children? Are you going to teach them from the Word? Are you going to teach them about Jesus at home? They're going to get bombarded on the outside by everything else. They will, we bring them to church on Sunday. We send them to youth on Friday. Those are good, but that's not what the reality is. As good a teacher as Brother Phil is and as good a pastor as Pastor Matt is, the investment that they make speaking isn't the same as the lifestyle that they watch you have in your home. The way you live, Mom, is what's influencing the children. You dads want to live for God. The way you live in the home, how you're in. Guys that are unmarried, you need to determine in your heart. I am going to marry somebody who wants this, who wants Jesus for my children, who wants to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of this is what I want for my children. I did not come from a Christian home. I had so much to learn. But how much better when you grow up and you're learning it from your mom and dad so that the next generation, they're going to learn. They're going to be able to speak truth that they've experienced and lived their whole life. Mom, that investment you're making in your child, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. That's not a, a promise in Proverbs. It's a principle. There's a difference between principles and promises. Principles are, this is the way it goes. But with the thing with a principle is a principle involving someone else that you cannot change. One of the strange things that God gave all of us is the ability to change. Can't force your children what to do, but you can show them all the goodness of God and the love and beauty of a mother. Let them see what that means to you to live for Christ. That influence will influence your child. Train him, see what God does. You don't train him, I know what'll happen. I know what'll happen. Better that you train him. You only have so long with your children. How well do I know that? Not only have I seen my children grow up and get married, I just watched my granddaughter graduate from I can't believe my wife is married to a guy that old. He's going to be married in a few months. I could be a great grandfather by this time. Go. Go. That will make you. You know what? I want Ariel and Luke. They get married. I want their home to start like that. I want them to be loving Jesus, saying we as a couple are going to love Jesus. Raise children. We want those children to love Jesus. And it's not because that father and grandfather are preachers. It's because of Jesus. And that's what all of us, that's what I want for all of you, my brothers here at Capital City. I want God to manifest Himself in our lives. And the only way He does it is when we let Him, when we open the door. There are some of you you have never trusted Christ as you ever have. There's no special deal to do that. It works like this. You think about it. You meditate upon it. And you're like, you know what? I am not right with God. I need you. The Scripture tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Mouth confession is made unto salvation. Nothing to do. Only to believe. 
received, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. The name of Jesus, under the name of heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus. All about Jesus. These five ladies, they gave us great examples. And maybe you're the one that's walking with God. Wife is. But I close with 1 Peter 3. He says in verse 7, For men, likewise you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, unto the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean weak. Her, her, her uh, way of living is different than yours. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, give her honor that your prayers be not hindered. That means as husbands, we have to love our wives, but that loving involves learning. That loving involves observing. That loving involves sacrifice of things that we want to do for the betterment of our marriage. For the time that you need to spend with your wife. Like, well, I need to do this and I need to do that. Scale that. Your wife, especially if you have small children, has been home all day speaking baby talk to three and four and five year olds. She probably felt comfortable. Your wife, honor, praise her for who she is, praise her for what she does. Because the scripture is telling us, even us men here, we are heirs together. There's no men in this story in Exodus, just a little baby boy, a guy who wants to kill baby boy. Moses' father, not spoken of that he married Moses' mother. Everything this thing points to, there were five ladies involved, all of them in a good way. Ladies, my encouragement to hear the voice of God from this text. Let it be an encouragement. Raise your children, nurture and admonition. A husband that born again, want to see, or maybe he's a Christian, but he's not living for Jesus. That's going to come from your prayers, your love. And as opportunity arises, hearing the word. God. Now for prayer. Before I pray, ask. Now that we have our new set, some of you, custom is come to the front and pray. I encourage you to do that if that's your heart. God stirred your heart. If you Day that God, I want, I want to commit my life to Christ, raise my children in the nurture, and ask you. Ever trusted Christ? I plead today. There are people take the scriptures, not force, just show you about how you can, how you can know.